Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. Hey, hey, we are live here on LinkedIn, coming to you with another episode on all things talent right here on the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. I am your host, Mitch Robbins. I am the founder and managing director of a search firm called the Anthony Michael Group, which I'll tell you about more later. But what you need to know is that we are here each and every week, I'd say just about 99% of the time, live on Thursdays, 11 o'clock Pacific, two o'clock Eastern. We take on topics across the entire talent spectrum, anything from hiring, onboarding, retention, building your own career, interviewing, uh, negotiating, you name it, that if it relates to talent, you can expect it here. And joining me, as always, uh, is Adam Sapi, Principal Talent Advisor here at the Anthony Michael Group, and our good buddy, Nick Zweig, a talent acquisition leader in his own right, uh, with plenty of experience to speak from. So guys, Thank you for being here. Happy Thursday. How are you? Doing great. Shandon, who will be I know joining it. us shortly. Yes, it's Shandon a, Hayes a boys is club normally, right now. Uh, with us here, and she may be showing up any minute, but we're going to jump right in and start creating some value for you as fast as we can. Today, we're going to talk about, really, how do you define your next career move? And I'm going to have Nick jump in here pretty quickly and, and help kind of preface or set the, the stage here. But without stealing your thunder, Nick, in essence, what we're talking about is how do you give some how do you have some, what's the word I'm looking for? Not foresight, but how do you give like conscious thought to planning out a move versus just being reactive to, hey, I think it's time to make a move. I'm going to read some job descriptions, field some calls from recruiters and pick the best of what's in front of me. But how do you actually be more strategic and really ask yourself some very, very important questions to define a set criteria that you should be using and how do you leverage that criteria to get what you want? So I'm going to shut up for a minute. Nick, what else do you want to add to that as far as prefacing the topic for today? Uh, I would just say that um, it was one of my all-time favorite HR directors, Cindy, who had recommended to me that I spend time when I wasn't actively looking or even considering new roles. She said, this is the time to think about what you want. What's that next step look like? What are the key factors? Define success. That way, when success shows up, you recognize yeah. it, right? You you know to take um, pull the trigger and move forward. And as a, a professional interviewer, right, I speak to hundreds, if not thousands, of candidates a year. Often, I'm asking the question, "What what's causing you to look for new opportunities? Why us specifically?" And I'm often surprised that a lot of folks don't actually take a whole lot of time to think about what this next move is intended to achieve from a career development perspective, how it fits into the big puzzle, um, rather tends to be more reactive as far as um, the job description looked like a good fit, the company looked like a good fit. And um, if you really want to achieve your career goals, I think it makes a lot of sense to sit down and, and think about those requirements. Nobody starts looking to buy a house and just randomly goes into open houses <laughs> without you know, any regard to how many bedrooms how many bathroom, how many car garages there, right? You sit down with your real estate agent, you define what are the basics that I need to have? What are what are the nice to haves? Um, it should be the same with a, a career. Yeah. And I was just thinking about what you said as far as like, 
hey, um, you know, I've kind of got a roadmap in my head. Like my, the next step logically for me is to become a regulatory affairs manager. Great. So now I'm going to interview for regulatory affairs manager job. And I'm going to interview possibly with a company of 30 people. And I'm going to interview with a company that is 3000 people. And as long as I become a regulatory affairs manager, I'm moving my career forward because that's the next logical step. Well, what about all the dynamics that you're not taking into account? What is the scope of your regulatory affairs manager job in one company versus another? What is the environment from a regulatory mindset in terms of, you know, are do they see it as a redheaded stepchild or do they truly see themselves culturally as a strong advocate for what regulatory represents for the business? I mean, so there's all these nuances. So you're dead on. It's not just, okay, logically, I want to become a manager. So when that time's right, I'll start interviewing for, for manager roles. And I love the analogy and hits home very hard for me right now as I'm in the home buying and selling process as we speak. But that's a whole nother story. Shandon, welcome to the show. Nice of you to show up. Hey guys, sorry I'm late. We're only giving you a hard time because we know why she wasn't here. And that is because she's hard at work in her daytime job, which is putting offers together. So mm -hmm. <laughs> all good, all good. So we're really, we're talking about how do you define a career move for yourself and why is that important, right? Versus just being reactive. We want to help you be proactive. I think what we should do now is let's dive into giving the audience, the listening audience, some criteria that they should really take to heart when considering what is going to be their next career move. So maybe we just go you know, uh, around the horn here and talk about what are some criteria to really kind of jot down and, and leverage as you're thinking about making your next move? Yeah. So I can jump in. Um, I would say one of the biggest criteria that people don't actually realize is such a big criteria is the company size. And there are a lot of different uh, things that you will learn in a large company versus a small company. Your experience will be very different. Yeah. And so I think having some sense, if you're someone who's only worked in smaller companies or you've only worked in larger companies, first of all, you probably think the grass is greener, right? But it would probably help to get some context in terms of what is the impact of company size on your career and your learning and your growth? And so, as I was mentioning before we kicked off the show, you know, at a large company that has a lot of people, people start to specialize. So you get an incredible depth of knowledge, right? When I was recruiting for a $20 billion company, the level of knowledge and specialization I got within my specific field was very, very deep. I purposefully chose to go work for a startup after that larger company because I wanted a bigger breadth of experience, right? I wanted to see the TA talent acquisition operations, I wanted to see immigration, I wanted to see the systems, the process. So it wasn't necessarily that I wanted to be really focused in on this one thing. I really wanted to be more uh, sort of broad. And, and I think that's one of the bigger differences from company size. You also have a lot more resources in a larger company. And so um, learning to leverage the talent around you becomes a priority. Whereas a smaller company, you sort of have to be a jack or jill of all trades, where I sometimes had to put an IT hat on, right? That's not my career. It's not my focus. I sometimes had to put a regulatory hat on again, right? And so um, if, if you don't think through the company size and what are you trying to achieve, you might end up in a company that um, has you way too focused. Maybe that's not what you love. You want to be able to do this, that, and the other thing, or vice versa. If you're not interested in the periphery and you really want to focus in and you wind up at a smaller company, I think you're going to find that you're just not that comfortable, not feeling that engaged. So company size, I think, would be a big and one. I think awesome. just to you said something really important there, Nick, which is 
doing something you love, I think that it's very easy to get very caught up in what is my next step? What is my career ladder? And that doesn't always align with what you truly enjoy doing. Like I have discovered about myself, I love to have like I acknowledge and do a whole bunch of different things. So working, like you said, working at a larger company where I'm very siloed and it's very stay in your lane and I can't jump in and help and learn a whole bunch of different things. Eh, it doesn't I'm not as happy there. You might think like it's your point, Mitch, you might think, OK, I want to be a reg affairs manager. Well, why do you want to do that? What aspects of that work do you think are going to be interesting? Have you talked to other people in those similar roles? And I mean, I think that being happy and content in your role, I think, is is really, really a, a factor that you can't discredit. And it's very easy to put that as a on the sidelines when you get caught up in this is what I should do next. And Nick was one of the first people to teach us that this is available in the market. And that is that a lot of times people think that they have to become a manager to make more money, too. And when uh, Nick was actually a client of ours, we don't talk about that very often, but this is how we met Nick a couple of years ago. And when we were talking about leveling of positions, Nick explained that some companies, his at the time, have parallel tracks of individual contributor roles that will still allow you to make the money that leaders make, but in individual capacity. And that's a way better fit for a lot of people. Unfortunately, not every organization thinks that way or has that structure. So people who don't necessarily have the innate ability or want the opportunity to, to lead people feel like that's the only way forward yeah. to be able to make more money. So you're dead on there. Adam, I want to keep this thing rolling, man. So company size, what else, what other criteria would you suggest? Well, I was laughing because Shandon basically stole my answer verbatim and, <laughs> and uh, because it is why. Well, I want to be an RA manager. Why? Well, because that's the next logical step. I, I can't get promoted and because Nick creates that at other, other roles. Hey, here's the individual contributor path and senior fellow, I think, was the highest at your previous company. That paralleled a VP role. That was a $200,000 job. So, well, do you like leading people? Do you like providing guidance and mentorship? Do you like being the go-to person? No, not really. Well, okay, then let's change that first. And and I think to what Nick said earliest, you have to define what that path looks like so you can see success when it when it shows up. I would even say maybe let's look around the corners and, and say, what are you trying to accomplish? Well, I want to be a VP of RAQA. Okay, so maybe a project manager is the next step, or maybe you pivot into more quality than regulatory right now. And so you can expand your breadth and depth and not only the, the size of the company, but what do you need to do to get your end game? And that might be a 17 step process, you know, and might be volunteering for projects at your current organization. So that would be my, my note was why, you know, in addition to holistically looking at things like the size of the company, Company and the, the technology and, you know, certain things too, because there's the two paths where you can be the subject matter expert in a tiny sliver and you know everything about, you know, defibrillators. And then there's, you know, that sometimes that can be, you know, counterproductive to what your, your, your long-term goals are. Another piece that you could add to your criteria is, is innovation. People, some people only want to work with companies with heavy pipelines and lots of new product development because of how that impacts the scope of what they do in their role. And others, right. let's face it, there's other companies that have a huge commercial portfolio and a lot of the work is sustaining. So I think that could be a criteria. I think the working environment, now the controversy doesn't seem to stop. Every day you pull up a Yahoo or Google or your phone, wherever, and they're talking about, you know, this push for employers to want people to come back to the office, but people want to stay home. Well, it's not changing anytime soon. So what do you want? Am I open to working hybrid? Do I only want remote? Do I want to be in the office more so than, than not? Because I miss that. So I think the working environment, I think what else, guys? I think the commute. Age of company is a big Say it one. again. Age, Age of, of company. company. So I've worked for uh, a small startup and a small mature company, exact same company size, 
feel hmm. and looks totally different, right? Not one is better than the other, right? They're just different environments. So the startup, there's a lot of ambiguity. There's no process. There's no defined steps. Everything is figure it out as we go because it's it's a new company. They're also very open to change, right? And if something isn't working, you can instantly throw it out, try something new. So it's it's not difficult to implement change yep. in a, a small, mature company, right? There are processes and standards. There's a handbook that tells you exactly how to behave and, and what to do. We're slower to adapt to change because we've done things the same way for you know 20 years and that that's worked. So I think thinking about the age of the company you're targeting and the effect that has on the work environment is another yep. big one. I would I say. Agree. Yeah. And maybe more maturity of the company than the age, because I've worked at companies that have definitely been well established and still have like no still don't have SOPs they're in still, place. They, they're still yeah. figuring it out right Fair yeah point. <laughs> in addition to these i would say commute if you're in san francisco and you know you need to be in the office in a hybrid fashion what type of commute are you looking at or boston for that matter culture hey is it a more formal culture is it a more ping pong you know beer pong culture what is it right and where do i fit best i hate the word culture i hate it with a passion because it's just way overused it's, it's overused it's generic yeah. and so i even hate using that word but that's what i mean by that like what type of environment you know if you yeah. had to look holistically like how would you sum up in a couple words what that environment is and it might not be easy when it's 25,000 people right but in your sphere right in this location in this particular you know, functional area that I'm going to be working with. What is the culture? How do I sum that up? So the point is we've named off what, five, six, seven different criteria. What I would recommend is you have a spreadsheet of these criteria and then you're going to rank them. What's most important to you? Like what's do or die? This is my number one. I have to have it this way and start ranking them maybe anywhere from one, two, and three, and then add up the scores, right? What is the score and what comes out? Actually, excuse me. What you want to do is sort by the number that you ranked it. So you can see what all your ones are, what all your twos are, what all your threes are. And that's how you know, okay, what's most important to me, right? But I, outside of just this ranking system and the criteria, I want to dig into some of the nitty gritty of now that I understand what's important to me, what do I do next? How do I even start having these conversations? Who do I talk to? What do I do to get myself moving in the right direction now that I have more of a definitive idea of what I want? I would say to, to Nick's point too, if you're looking at, let's say, size of the company, hey, here's, I'm 26 years old. Here's my risk tolerance. I can go to a startup right now. If it fizzles out in two years, I don't have a mortgage and kids and dog and, and you know, white picket fence, whatever. So I'm going to, I'm going to target startups and I'm going to follow companies. I'm going to try to try to get ahead of that. Or if you're going the other side and you're like, look, I really need a company between 500 and a thousand employees. You can search those parameters and build a target list. And you might be surprised by the number, you know, uh, the, the, you know, good or bad uh, of companies that kind of fit your criteria. And then let's say there's, you know, 80 companies. Great. I'm going to target these companies. I'm going to research them. I'm going to reach out to folks that work there currently and, and follow their, their content and stay active so that when, you know, opportunity comes knocking, I'm, I'm ready to open that door. I think that last piece is where I grabbed onto because, again, this advice was given to me when I was not looking. I was not interested in looking. And in the back of my head, I thought, am I really going to spend time thinking about the next job when, you know, I'm really engaged and happy and doing well in this job? But I was glad I did because, of course, over time, opportunities come yeah. to you, right? Everybody in regulatory for sure knows that. But you've got recruiters like Shandon, I, Mitch, Adam, all of us reaching out regularly. And 
they're coming in fast and furious. And what are the criteria you're using to determine whom I'm speaking to? Well, why not define that success so that you know which call to take? Yeah. And that's exactly what I did, right? And to a large extent, the, the next position I had really wanted was the opposite of what I had. So again, $20 billion company, 124-year-old company, global organization of legacy products from 35, 40 years ago. I wanted exactly the opposite. Startup, innovative technology, brand new. And when I got that call that, hey, this is the opportunity we're recruiting for, I immediately recognized it as, wait, this is what I had to find success. And I was able to say, okay, I don't normally take these calls, but in this particular case, because it matches that profile, I will. And uh, there were two of them that popped up right around the same time. And I think recruiters always say it, even the most passive of candidates becomes active. The second there's one interview, that's what happened to me. A second one that again, matched my criteria came up. It actually ended up being the second one that I took, not the first. But I don't think I, I was still very happy at a fantastic team and it was a great company. I didn't have enough push to have me going and searching jobs on Indeed or LinkedIn. Um, it was really, who do I respond to as far as the recruiters reaching out to me that helped me to filter through a lot of that noise? I was just going to say, I think it gives you, I guess, the reprieve too. Mentally, you know, like, hey, I'm not passing up a great opportunity because I know specifically, you know, to the house analogy, hey, if it's not a ranch, I don't even want to see it. It could be have all the bells and whistles, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to be older pretty soon. I want ranch. I don't want stairs. Okay, cool. And so it gives you that peace of mind. But also the next level would be even to reach out to, to tr- uh, recruiters that you trust and say, hey, here is what I'm looking for. That way they're not even in theory, reaching out to you with the uh, other opportunities that aren't relevant. And they're only going to say, hey, Nick, guess what? You said you want to start up with innovative tech and build it from scratch and everything else. Guess what? Today's your lucky day. And you go, okay, cool. Let's talk. Yeah, you stole my you stole my thought, Great Adam. Uh, though I would, I would watch those two like reciprocity. Kind of after I've thought about what I want, my a lot of times my first call is to you know my trusted recruiters because odds are, and by recruiters I I mean a little bit more on the agency search firm side. So I know like when I was laid off, I called. Mitch and Adam, like, hey, guys, you have worked with way more companies than I've been exposed to. And my career on the you know corporate side is where my journey has been. Do you have any ideas that this is what I'm looking for? So I think it's a really powerful resource as, as I talk to people, especially over the last few months, that they've just never, it's never occurred to you as a job seeker. So your search firm recruiters, especially the, the really, really specialized one, plug for Mitch and Adam, they are your best friends when it comes to stuff like this. They might not be able to help you to, they might not get you to that next step, but man, they can sure give you a lot of support and ideas along the way. So guys, I think this, this is all great stuff. And, and here's the thing that I would compare it to. We are always coaching people that you should consistently update your resume. When you've got big outcomes that you've delivered where you can speak to making money, saving money, improving a process, doing something that moves the business forward as a result of solving some sort of challenge, we, you want to make sure to capture that on your resume so that it's fresh in your mind and you've got a record of your achievements as you move along. Especially when you go to switch positions, that's a great time. When you get promoted, that's a great time. You should always have that thing living, breathing, fluid 
updates, right? It's the same thing here when you're doing your research as to define your next career move. If I can define it and I understand my criteria, when a recruiter calls, I do know how to streamline the process so that I'm not interviewing on 22 jobs because I got 22 calls this week, right? I can be very selective and, and tell them with certainty what I do want so that they can call me back with more confidence the next time knowing my criteria. That's number, that's part of it, right? The other part of it is if I start to, God forbid, get into a more urgent mode on, you know, unforeseen, boom, I've got exactly what I know I want. Now I can go to what Adam's talking about and start building a very targeted list and start being proactive with my reach out. So it's a it's a win-win. That's how I see it. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's also that time to um, network outside of a job search, right? When you're at conferences and whatnot. I was just at uh, the HR Leap conference here in, in the Boston area, and I met one head of HR for a company locally. And she was telling me a little bit about their culture and their benefits and their values and whatnot. And um, I, I couldn't help but think, I'm, I'm not looking. I'm happy. I've got a lot more work to do where I'm at. But I, I sat there thinking, whoa, that's where I want to be next. Because um, it, it was like she was describing me, right? Except in company form. And so it went on the short list as far as, oh, and of course, she got my name. You know, I made sure she had the, if you're a head of TA leaves, you make sure you call. <laughs> but I think those are the kinds of seeds that you can sow. Yeah. And all of this is, is really done in a proactive way. This is not reactive work. Reactive is, I hate my job today. I'm going to go to Indeed or LinkedIn. I'm going to find a new one. And guess what? 99% of the chances you're going to wind up in another crappy situation. Yep. When you do the proactive work, when you decide what house you want and you actively pursue homes that meet your requirements, you're going to end up in a place that you're excited about, that you're proud of, that you want to continue staying with. Um, it'll You'll spiral your own career right into the toilet if you continue to just jump in a reactive way. It's critical for your long-term success to be proactive about your career. And Absolutely. I think too. I just had something. Go ahead, Shannon. You lost it, Mitch. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I think too, off. like to your point, Nick, it's like, oh my gosh, I hate my job today. I'm going to go look for another one. Taking this time to reflect and like, what is it that you really want will also help you to identify, am I just stuck in a rut or is it really time for a change? Right. Because you can have everything on your like must have, gotta love it list in your job and still be unhappy. Sorry, kids, I'm going to break that bad news of, you know, the reality of life. So understanding what is it that's making that's causing that. And it could just be like, hey, your boss is a jerk. Probably time to get out of there. So taking this time is really important. It's not easy per se, but taking the time is really important because it will help you to make strategic career moves as well. I think that's an awesome yeah. observation. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, you may find that as you're trying to think through what your next step would be, that nothing seems fun or exciting, right? I, I don't want to work for a large company or a small company. I don't want to work for innovative or a legacy. I, I don't, none of these are grabbing my attention. And, and that's when I think you have to start thinking about whether it's time to make a shift career-wise into a, a different field. And uh, maybe that's something we talk about in the future yeah. is, is how do you how do you make that shift, right? I'm someone who went through that myself. And so I really think that this kind of work can make sure you don't continue down a path you shouldn't be going down if it's just not aligned to your personality, your your passion. I am so grateful that I wound up in a career that I am so passionate about. I, I eat, drink, live, sleep, 
talent acquisition. It's just my obsession. And it annoys my friends and family, but I locked out, right? And I want that for everybody. I want people to feel like they love their job so much, they don't actually work at all. And so if that isn't what you do, this activity can help you realize it and you can start to think about then what is it? I will also say, and I'll probably leave on this note, uh, the show here, is going back to something that Adam said. If you're not sure, let's just say that you know, hey, I kind of want to continue to progress my career. I, I do like what I do, but I want to get to the next level, but I'm not really sure how or what or what should I do next. Start talking to people who know you best. Talk to your boss and explain to your boss, mm-hmm. look, I'm motivated. I want to be you someday or in a spot like you someday. Where do you see the gaps? What, if, if, yeah. if you were to interview me for your role today, where are my gaps? And now, okay, now that I understand my gaps, what's the next logical role to fulfill to start to close those, yeah, yep. right? And talk to colleagues who have made the jump, who have already been promoted and ask them, hey, you know me very well. What Now that you know the role on the other side, where's my gap? And try to have those conversations because that'll start to help flush out what you need to do next. And I think the picture will start to become more clear too, if you're not sure. Yeah, or even if you're not sure. I've, I've been very lucky that my direct managers over the years have also been my mentors. And they're like, well, what do you want to do next in your career? I'm like, I want to be a Toys R Us kid. I have no idea. So, <laughs> uh, I was going to say too, in shadow, like, more, but um, you know, so it's okay to not know. Also, to play devil's advocate on that one, and to what both Mitch and Shannon just said too, maybe shadow your boss. Hey, can I sit in in meetings? Can I see what you do? And and they might say, well, your gap is right now you don't run a PNL. Wait, I have no acumen in finance. I hate that stuff. Well, that's a big part of this job, really. What else do I not know? What is an RA manager? What is an RA? You know, and you might find out, wow, I thought I wanted that. I just saved myself three years in in the making and and being unhappy in that next role. So let's maybe pivot that. And and to Shannon's observation she made earlier is awesome. Like, hey, it might be you. Everything else, you have everything and you could have made a rash decision and gone, hey, I was trying to fix something that wasn't broken. I was just depressed. I was in it. I had anxiety, you know, whatever it was. It was something personal. It was a rut. I could have just, you know, worked out and you know, hiked and everything else for the next six weeks and and then things are good. So stay the course uh, there as well in in that scenario. One final thing, guys, we've got a decent audience here today live. If you guys have any questions that you'd like to ask as it relates to this topic or any questions related to talent, throw them in. We'll take them on right here. If not, feel free to send a direct message to any of us. I'm sure I could speak for the three of you folks that uh, you guys would be happy to answer them as well. For sure. I mentioned the Anthony Mike group at the beginning. We do a lot as it relates to regulatory quality clinic clinical. Uh, geez, we're doing tons in um, uh, data science right now. So Marketing, if you have practice. questions about your career or you are working on an urgent and critical search and you're not sure where to turn, we'd be happy to field your call and see what we could do uh, to point you in the right direction. But I'll wait around for a minute and see if anybody wants to ask questions live. Guys, anything that I'm uh, missing to kind of put a bookend on this? I was just going to add to Adam's statement, the the shadowing. I had uh, two fantastic recruiters that were reporting to me a couple companies ago. And initially they did uh, want my job, right? They were very clear about that. We sat together for about a year, at which point neither of them wanted my job, right? Because their vision of what my job was was quite a bit different than what my job truly was. And so once they heard uh, just from proximity, you know, the kinds of things I was dealing with on a day-to-day basis, and um, they started to both realize, well, that isn't really what I want. Um, Now, ironically, one is basically in my job at this point. So sometimes it it works out that you get the thing you didn't want. And I I think he's happy with it now. So sometimes, uh, you know, even all the proactive work, you might be wrong, right? Because you're thinking hypothetically instead of um, based on experience sometimes. 
Good stuff, guys. Well, as always, thanks so much to each of you for, for being here week in and week out with me. We appreciate your uh, your insights and your vantage point. We will be back next Thursday, 11 o'clock Pacific, 2 o'clock Eastern with another topic all related to talent. Guys, we want your feedback. If you're enjoying these shows, if you're getting value from it, let us know and let us know what you want to hear more of so that we can continue to tailor the show specifically for you. So thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.